0: All right. Good morning. Well, first service, first service is absolutely amazing, in my mind, because because this big giant clock that sits right here was half an hour off. So I, I went for a full hour. I had no idea. So my dad was in the back waving stuff and saying, "Hey!" And I'm like, "Yeah, I'm doing a great message." All right. So I got to figure things out. So if you, I'm sorry for the bottleneck that happened, I really. I thought I hit it. I was like, man, that was like the best message I've ever done. Right on time, everything. Hit all my major points. So, uh, okay, we're starting a new series today on uh, the building blocks of spiritual formation. And uh, these, are, these are taken from the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 5. And uh, usually, when I prepare a message, this is my process, like I'll go in... in and read other pastors and listen to other sermons. Basically, I rip other people off. I mean, that's kind of the general idea. It's called research, right? So, um, but I'm really excited about this series because the um, I can't say that it's an original thought, but most of the stuff that I came up with today, I didn't I didn't take or or, or glean off another speaker or, or another book or something like that. And it, it, it's nothing. Like extremely revolutionary, it's just a different way of looking at some scripture that that we're all familiar with. In Galatians chapter five verse twenty-two, uh, he's uh, Paul is describing what he calls the fruit of the spirit, and the fruit of the spirit is love, which is our topic today. Uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Now, in your Bible, it might say goodness. Uh, it, it the translation in the Greek, it comes across as uh, goodness, or benevolence, or generosity. So it has a, it has a stronger meaning than just goodness. So uh, we'll, today we're going to call it generosity. Um, and then the next one is uh, uh, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, uh, gentleness, and everybody's favorite message, which we haven't decided who, what pastor is going to take this one, but self-control. Self-control is a, is a fruit of the Spirit. And um, it is in the Christian life we are called to produce. It's kind of a, I mean, it's kind of a difficult thing to hear. God wants us not only to, to grow in Him, but He also wants us to produce what He calls good fruit and a lot of it. And Jesus talks specifically about it. Um, our first scripture today is is the, the vine and the branches. You remember the vine and the branches, you know. That song that we used to sing years ago? How many people are, were Christians back then? Uh, you are the vine, I'm the branches. Remember that? I, I shouldn't sing at all. Um, I'm going to read, read Jesus' words on, on the fruitful life. And uh, you can follow along, but I'd really like for you just to listen because um, my translation is going to be drastically different than yours. And if, it, if you're confused after I read it, It it actually makes sense. I haven't changed the the content of it, but if if your Bible doesn't match up to what mine is, how it's coming out across here, uh, and if you want to dig in further, you can read uh, Dr. Gundry's commentary on John. Just Google it, and and it will make more sense. But here we go. Uh, John, chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vineyard. Jesus is talking here. I am the true vineyard, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch or bush in me that does not bear fruit. While every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes so that it becomes even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain buried in me and I will remain in you, giving you nutrients and sustenance. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must, be, it must remain in the vineyard. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain buried in me. I am the vineyard and you are the branches. You are the vines. And if a man remains in me and I in him, I will, I will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does remain in me, he is like a, if anyone that does not remain in me, he's like a branch That is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and they're thrown into the fire and they're burned. If you remain buried in me and my word, this living, alive word that is planted as a seed in you. Here we go. You can ask for whatever you wish for and it will be given. Isn't that an amazing thought? I don't know about you, but that's where I want to get to in my spiritual life. I want to be able to ask God for stuff and then he gives it. The things that I'm asking for, I'm not getting. Anybody have this experience? You have this experience? yes. Yeah, see, that's, that's the honest church. I like it. Okay. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Okay, so uh, when you have a fruitful life, when good things are coming up, it's not for you. It's for actually for his glory. Hmm? As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Okay, now pay attention because Jesus is gonna, he's going to make a very strong point about being in, abiding in, being, remaining in, being buried in Christ. Okay, he's, he's defining it further. And he says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. And as the analogy of the vineyard, you need, to be, you need to remain in his love. You need to be buried, planted, receiving all of your nutrients for life in love. If you obey my commands, you will remain buried in my love. Just as I have obeyed my father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy... May be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command, which is to love. I no longer call you, excuse me, servants or slaves because a slave does not know what his master's business is. Instead, I have called you friends, friends. For everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and to bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is the command. This is my command. Love each other. Okay, so love is kind of the big deal here, right? And as we read earlier in Galatians, Love is a fruit. It is the fruit of the spirit. It is, um, it is, it, it's, the, it's the sign that we are doing this this Christian thing right. And the problem that we have with love in our society is that, that we've watered it down, that we've overused it, that we've dumbed it down, that we truly don't understand what the true meaning and the true definition of love is. And when, when, when Paul and when Jesus and then later we're, and John, these are the scriptures we're gonna be looking at today, when they talk about love, it is a very specific love and it's, it's called the agape love. So that's your first one on your fill and your bulletins there if you wanna follow along. Uh, the definition of love is, is agape. What is that? I don't know. It's a fancy Greek word. Agape is, is love that is pure, and it is unconditional, and it is affectionate, and it is devotional. It is this unconditional love, meaning that no matter what happens, no matter how bad you mess up or how bad you blow it, how many times that you, you backslide or fall away from God, he still loves you unconditionally and it is it is an amazing thing and here's the difficult part is that god wants us to live like that too he wants us to express ourselves in agape love now here's the major problems the major misconceptions with, with love in our society. I think you have two little bullet points there. But there's a lot, because we really got this thing messed up. So you can even add your own, but one of the major misconceptions about love is that it is a feeling, right? It is something that just, that oh, I, I feel like loving so-and-so today. And it's great because, you know, a good feeling feels good, right? I mean, being in love with somebody, it feels excellent. But here's the problem. Uh, as easy as that it, you to move into a feeling of love and joy, it's just as easy for you to move out of it. Meaning that, oh, I am so in love with so and so, and then the next day, I am not in love with so and so. And and part of it you need to know yourself. You need to know your character and you need to know your makeup. Like, what drives you? And one of the really great characters to look at in the Bible is Peter because Peter was driven by his passions and his emotions. And we know this about, this is what we love about Peter. This is why we make fun of him in the Bible because he, just was, he was driven by his passions. He's always cutting somebody's ear off or saying something inappropriate, not paying attention to what he was doing. But this is, what, this is why we love him. But see, he was led by his emotions and by his feelings. And what we know about agape love, about God's love, is that it is not a feeling. It is much more than that. It is much deeper, and we have to grasp it. The other thing that love is not is that love is not something that, that is uncontrollable. And I don't know, we, you know, whenever—I hate making fun of little teenage girls, but this—okay, you know, the little teenage girl comes to, to Daddy and says, Oh, Daddy, I met Roberto. And and we fell in love last night. And I know he just got out of prison yesterday for Grand Theft Auto, but I can't help myself. I love him, right? And what's the dad's response, I just, my baseball bat is in the garage. I just can't help myself. I'm going to, right? And so... Um, the, the, the major misconception is, is, that, is that love overtakes you and you just can't help the, what you do. You can't help but fall into love. And the problem with that is, is it goes the opposite way too. I, I can't help but does not fall out of love with you. And that usually happens when you're hurt or disappointed or your expectations are met or the warm fuzzies fall off. But here's the problem with the uncontrollable love. The uncontrollable love is, is not love. It's infatuation. And um, I have been infatuated with plenty of young ladies a long time ago. And, um, but you know this to be true, right? You cannot reason somebody when, they are infatu- when they're in this state of infatuation, can you? You cannot reason with them. You know, your child comes to you and they think that they're in love. They're actually infatuated and you cannot reason them. You, you can't talk them off the cliff they just—they have to experience the train wreck for themselves, right? They have to—the heartbreak, and it's sad, but it's just something that you just can't—you just can't teach. And um, um, it's a, so, love is a—it's—it it, it is controllable. Yet we say that it's not. And here's another great, major misconception about love: is that where it actually comes from. Love is one of these things that is an absolutely every single pop song. It is one of the, the most powerful forces on, in the universe. We know it exists. Everybody know that, lo- that love exists. It, we can't measure it. Like, science can't figure it out. You know, they try to say, okay, well, it's Eros, which is, you know, that's the erotic love. And, you know, there's Philo, which is the, the brotherly love. So we've got these different types of love that, that maybe naturally will come up. But no one buys it. The entire planet believes that there's some powerful force called love, and we don't know what it is. And it, it's this driving force. But see, even though, like, Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera, they all know that love exists and that it's a power so strong and binds, uh, we, they don't know where it comes from. And this is, the, this is the major, major misconception, is that we believe that true, pure love comes from other people, and it's a major misconception. Why? Most people, married, single, uh, people that have been single for that will never get married, they, the, what our society, what the world tells us is that people will be our fulfillment. And people, you know, they, they, they search and they look, and they, in their mind they think, if I can just find Mr. Right or Mrs. Wright, and if I can, if I can f- find them, then I will finally be complete. This, this wisdom, it came from Jerry Maguire. <laughs> you need know the story, right? So Jerry Maguire, uh, what, what's the gal's name? What was her name? Renee Zellweger. Whatever happened to her? She's, she's still around? Okay, so, so they're having, you know, I don't know, they're having relationship issues, and Jerry busts in on on some meeting and he says, this is a a cruel, cynical world, such a cynical world, and I love you. What does he say, what does he say? You complete me. (laughs) Big, 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 giant, fat, fat lie. You complete me, Renee. And what does Renee say? Oh, Oh, Tom, you had me at hello. All right, see, we, we buy this stuff. We buy this stuff, hook, line, and sinker, but it's just, it's not true. There is not a, there's not a human being on this planet that will ever complete you. I don't care if you have the most perfect marriage in the world, you will never be completed by another individual. It's impossible. Only God completes you. Only the Spirit and, and Jesus will finally complete you. Be that completion in you. It is a mystery. It is, you know, and, and if we can just figure this out, it would be, it would be so much better. What happens? And a lot of times, you know, when we we have to do like marital counseling or relational counseling, um, somebody is picking up the pieces of their marriage. And the problem is, is that that individual has let them down, and all of the romances has faded away. Right? All of the the infatuation has faded away. And everything that they have put their trust and their faith and their hope in, they've tied everything, they've tied their entire meaning and their wholeness into an individual and it didn't work out. And so they're wrecked, right? They're completely wrecked. You know what I love to see? I love to see when, when believers, when Christians um, move on Like they've had, they've suffered a major loss. Maybe it was a divorce. Maybe they got hurt deeply. Maybe it was, maybe it was a death of a spouse. But they know that their identity is born in Christ. And they're able to move on. And they're able to remarry. And they're able to engage in healthy relationships. That makes me so happy when I see people remarry in their older years. Or when I see them try to, okay, Maybe the first marriage didn't go too well. Let's try again. That brings me joy because that means, you know what? It, maybe for a season, this was wrapped up into this person, but it's, it's much bigger than that. Now, the Bible does say that, my, that God's design for community and building the planet and being fruitful is that it is, is, the, it is the wholeness and it is the healthy relationship of two becoming one flesh and it does say when you find a good spouse you have found something good so i'm not i don't want to badmouth marriage or say that it you know that it's not good but again i think we pl- we place false expectations on what marriage is and we get it you know where we got it we got it years ago from from the romance literature and chivalry and stuff like this right it is with this, this romantic idea that romantic love it can surpass. Love conquers all. Love, romantic love conquers everything, right? And we got that from early romance literature. Um, here's the reality. If Romeo and Juliet hadn't have off themselves, there would have come a day when reality would have struck, right? When they would, they would be in their 30s and 40s and married, and, and, and she's looking at Romeo and is like, I hate that guy. He is so annoying. He doesn't do the dishes. and So it would all have faded away, right? They would have became normal. They would have moved out of this sense of infatuation and they would have became just normal everyday people. All right, so number one on your bulletin on, on what love is, is that love is a choice. So whenever the warm fuzzies wear off of Romeo and Juliet, and whether you don't feel like loving somebody anymore, you don't feel like loving your kid, you don't feel like loving your church, you don't feel like loving your spouse, what we do know about agape love is that it is a choice. It's something you have to choose to do. And when you choose to love, then your feelings will follow later. That's what mature Christians do. They don't feel, they believe, and they stay faithful. Hmm? If a mature fit Christian was just led around by this fake sense of love and led around by their feelings, where would they be? Where would you be? So think about that for a second. Okay, love is a choice. I choose to love my annoying husband right now. Hmm? I choose, my, my kids are driving me crazy. I choose to love them. So love is a choice. The other thing that love is, is that love is an action. Number two, love is an action. Meaning that, uh, yes, you have to choose to love and you have to, we always talk about speaking powerful words to people, speaking life into people. So you need to say to your kids and your loved ones. I love you, right? You need to speak that life, up, life into them. But that's only one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is action. You have to perform an action. So love is not only a choice, but it's also an action. Uh, our, our favorite character in the Bible to make fun of, Peter, is, again, he was, he was impulsive. You know, he, he acted before he thought. And yet... Um, he's a lot like us. So he got his feelings hurt, right? Jesus hurt his feelings. And he was paralyzed. So he went through a hard time with God. He went through a hard time in life and he got a little paralyzed. And, and Jesus is in the process of restoring Peter. And in John 22, he says, Okay, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter's response is, of course, Jesus, I love you. Jesus responds, feed my lambs. You take care of my little ones. Take care of the little tiny ones, the, the, the newbies. Moments later, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter, yeah, you know I do, of course I do. He says, tend, watch over, keep an eye on the sheep. Okay. Simon, son of John, do you love me? And at this point, he's really, he, he's a sensitive guy, right? He, he's just a sensitive guy. He gets his feelings hurt. Oh, Jesus, why are you hurting my feelings? You know I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Feed them. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, don't tell me, show me. And maybe that is, maybe that's a word for you today. You say you love Jesus show me. What was that other part in Jerry Maguire? Show me the money, right? Remember that? I was going to show that clip, but I decided not to. But really, I mean, uh, okay, I just take this metaphorically. I'm not, I'm not going to take the offering, but put your money where your mouth is. Let's bring the uh, offering up. Uh, usher's coming up. No. Okay, take the money out, but put your money where your mouth is. So sometimes we just talk way too much, I love you, I love you, I love you. And again, it's like everything else in our society, we water down the importance of the word. If you love me, you will feed my sheep. Hmm? If you love me, you're gonna take care of little ones. If you love me, you're gonna watch over everything and, and be faithful and strong. If you love me, you're gonna act. So Peter, you know what Peter does in the rest, the rest of his life? You see him love Jesus by his actions, and they get recorded. And you know, without a doubt, that Peter got this lesson from Jesus, because he spent the rest of his life loving. Okay, now I want to get into a further and an even deeper definition of love. Now, the second point on your outline is, it says, love is. Okay, Write small because at the end, if I have time, and if I don't preach for another hour and some minutes, um, I'll add another definition. But love is dynamic; it is active; it's organic. It's like love takes on its own. Uh, it's like its own personality, its own, its own force in and of itself, and it's 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 alive. And so, if you say, okay you know, I want to expand my ability to love more. That means you're, you're letting love come in and it's going to change the dynamic in your heart and the dynamic of your relationships. It's like it's a living thing and we have to think about it in those terms. Now, the interesting thing about Galatians twenty five twenty two 22 is that um, um, Paul says, uh, but the fruit, but the fruit, and fruit is singular. Hmm? Not fruits. I like fruit of the loom, guys. Fruit is singular. Okay, did you guys get the handouts, the, the additional handouts to the bulletin? Did you get the card thing? Yes, I see some of them. All right, so I, just, just get this out. I put the scriptures that we're talking about today on the back, but on this side, think about it, it is this, it is that love is, is a fruit and it, Oh, here we go. Raise your hand if you didn't get one. Take it home, put it on your fridge. Um, love is a fruit. It is a single thing. And, and what I want to communicate and what I want to get across is that, uh, these other building blocks, the next eight weeks, the building blocks that we're going to be looking at, they are, they actually define love. Truly it is the definition. Uh, So all of these are love, and this is what we're going to be looking at. It is singular, meaning that if you are expanding your capacity to love, you ought to be expanding your peace. You ought to be expanding your joy. You ought to be expanding your generosity, expanding your kindness, expanding your your gentleness, Expanding your faithfulness and everybody's favorite self-control. We ought to be growing. These are our fruits. These are the areas of our life that we need to be growing in and becoming powerful in. Okay. I'll oh, see. I got to get this clock thing going, or we're going to be in big trouble. Okay. I'm not. I'm okay. I got some time now to further illustrate why this is a singular thing. Why um, the fruit of the spirit, which is called Did you know that this is called the character of Christ? So this card that you have, this Galatians 5.22, this is the character of Christ. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control, the character of Christ. And we ought to become Christ-like. We need to pay attention to these nine things. They're so important. They're key. They're key to becoming Christ-like. It is also called the graces because Paul says, okay, but the fruit of the Spirit are these things, And then if you continue reading in in 22, it says against these elements, against these nine things, there is no law. There are no commandments. If you're able to develop your love and strengthen it with these nine elements, it will move you out of a place of slavery to religion And strengthen your relationship with God. And I hope that's why you're here today. I hope you want to strengthen your relationship with God. There is no law or rules or religion when these nine things are growing and observed in your life. Against such things, there is no law. It's an amazing, amazing promise. All right. Um, unfortunately, you're going to have to put your thinking caps on a little bit, because we got to look at the love verse, and it's, I just can't, you know, how many people know what I'm talking about when I say the love verse? Do you know which verse I'm talking about? 1 Corinthians 13, okay? So, let's look at 1 Corinthians 13, because Paul goes into an in-depth look, and an in-depth definition of what love is, and and I know that you're all familiar with it, but I want to I want to show you, I want to illustrate that love is defined by the fruit of the Spirit. These eight things that we're going to be covering next week. And this is what we're going to, this is, I'll show you. I'll, I'll show you how it pops out. Now, usually when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, it is in, is in response to somebody being an idiot with the, fruit, with the gifts of the Spirit. Do, do you know what I'm talking about? Okay, so this is the tone of, Corinthians, of 1 Corinthians. Paul's addressing some believers. He's addressing a church that is uh, functioning in the gifts of the Spirit, but there's something not quite right. It's like these folks are not behaving themselves. And he gives a list of what the gifts of the Spirit are. And, and in chapter 12, he rattles he them off. You know, some to be appointed apostles and prophets and teachers workers of miracles, uh, healers, um, helps, hospitality, uh, generosity, administration. So these are all gifts of the Spirit that he says, I I want you all to grow in them. I want you all to function in them in powerful ways. But at the end of chapter 12, he says, you're getting it wrong. There is a better way chapter, uh, end of chapter 12. And now I will show you the most excellent way how you do this. And the way that I see it is Paul's coming into a church environment and he sees it, he sees them as a bunch of little kids and they're playing with their toys by themselves. Hmm? They all have their little toys. They're playing by themselves. They're not sharing and they're not playing together and they're being rude and, you know, they're kicking sandcastles down and, you know, doing naughty boy stuff, right? So this is what he's dealing with. So there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a little bit of a, an annoyance in his tone. He says, I'm going to show you the most excellent way. 13, verse one. If I speak in the tongue of uh, men and of angels, but I don't have love, I am a really annoying person. I am only a resounding gong, a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all the knowledge and I've memorized the Bible inside and out and if I have not love, I am nothing. Taking up space. If I give all my possessions to the poor, I surrender my body to the flames but I don't have love, again, I am nothing. Then here he goes into the definition. Love is what? As we read in Galatians 5, patience is a fruit. Patience is the fruit of the Spirit. In order to love well, you need to be patient. Love is patient. You want to know what love is? It's patient. And it is extremely difficult to be patient when somebody is driving you nuts and not meeting your expectations. It is so incredibly easy to blow it with your kid, to lose your patience with your kid, to let your frustration move from a point of frustration into an anxiety where you just, you see the person as being less than they actually are, and you demean them. It's it's, it's a lack of patience. So love is patient, meaning you take your time Like you, if you have an issue, if you have a problem with a family member, and this, this is is the problem with guys. We want to, we're fixers, right? Let's fix this problem right now. And guys, sometimes we just need to be patient. Sometimes you need to let things play out. A lot of times there is a process to go through, and I don't like process. I want it now, I want it fixed, I want to move on to the next thing. I am not a patient person. And if we, here's the thing, if we are impatient with our loved ones and with what's going on in our world, with the guy at Starbucks, if we're impatient with them, guess who else we are going to be impatient with? God. God, you're not moving fast enough for me. God, you're not answering my prayer. And to lose patience with God takes it decreases our ability to love. Okay, uh, kind love is kind. Back to uh, speaking words of life. You need to express love through kindness. Oh, yep, yeah, I love my kids. Really, you love your kids. Are you, do you, are you speaking kind encouraging words to your kids? Are you speaking live to them? And then are you doing the other side of the coin? Are you expressing kindness by doing stuff? I don't know. What's your kid's love language? I don't know. Are you buying them a little gift here and there? Or are you spending quality time with them? Uh, are you doing acts of service together? Okay, what, what, okay, How do you express kindness to that person? Do you know what their love language is? See, when I can hang out with my child and not be present, that is not kind. If I'm with my child, but I'm not present, and if I'm, I'm a daydreamer, if I'm daydreaming about stuff, or if I'm on my phone, or if I'm just checked out, guess who notices? My kid notices. Even if I, in my mind I'm answering her things, she notices when I'm not present. And to be present is to express kindness. So love is kind. All right. It also leads to salvation. Did you know that? Did you know that if you express kindness to somebody that you don't like, that might be their ticket to heaven? It's that simple sometimes. Because you have chosen not to show kindness to somebody, well, that could be hindering their eternal salvation. Interesting thought to think about. All right, next thing, uh, love does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. Now, now, these are negative things. These are obviously not the fruits of the Spirit. I can't relate them directly to Galatians 5, but what is the opposite of these negative things? This um, uh, proudness, this, this, this uh, bragging mentality, uh, this self-seeking attitude, what is the opposite of that? Anybody want to take a guess? Gentleness, goodness. This, this benevolent spirit. See, um, let's go back to Jerry Maguire. What does Jerry Maguire say? This is, a, this is a rude, cynical world, and we're in a competitive business. And if you're in this world, it's going to eat you alive. And see, um, in the world, he's got the right attitude. You know, it's it's a... It's a junkyard dog mentality. You gotta kill or be killed. In the kingdom of God, it says that you are to be generous, benevolent, and good. Meaning that your stuff is not your own, and that um, when you when you view people, do you view them as notches to get above? Do you view them as as people to kick? When they're down. All right. Uh, Remember when you used to compete. How many people competed in high school? Or maybe you even competed for a job. Like there's several people running for the same job. In your your mind or even in your heart, you wish them ill. Like you want them to trip on their way into work. Or this really twisted thought comes into your mind that, that you want this guy to spring his angle Ankle, so that you can be, you can you can be varsity. Like, it is preferable that I tear somebody down than to build myself up. Now, competition in and of itself is not a bad thing. The Bible talks about it: iron ought to sharpen iron. But our natural, uh, our natural man will say. I'm going to get ahead at any cost, even if I have to manipulate the situation to make that person look bad. Maybe I could spread a little lie or a little gossip. Hmm? But the generous heart, the benevolent good heart, will wish others well, even in a highly competitive situation. You know who does it the best? Rock climbers do it the best. They are the most competitive people on the planet. They they do things that, that are, that's death defying, and they want to win. They the, they are in it to win it, folks. They are out to win. But what rock climbers do that a lot of sports don't do, is that the guys that are not on the face of the rock are cheering the other climbers on, even though that they're the number one competition. And deep down inside their heart, they want those guys to defeat the mountain, guys and gals. They want them to win. So they're competing at a high level. And when God says, I want you to be generous with your heart, I want you to wish others well and be benevolent in spirit, means that I want you to compete at a high level. You compete against the devil and not each other. Hmm? All right. Love is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Again, this is a negative, but it it is the opposite of the fruit of self-control. Look, it is so easy to get pushed into uh, blowing your lid, right? And some situations, justifiably, you can be angry in them. But anger and do not sin. You know, get your anger under control. Meekness, when the Bible talks about meekness, it is Power under control is the definition of meekness. so what he's saying is here, you need to get your emotions under control. You can be angry and not sin. And then what does he say? Um, Love doesn't keep any records of wrong. This one's tough. If you've been in a relationship where somebody has hurt you, maybe you've reconciled, maybe you've moved the relationship into a place of healing and growth, and you have said, I forgive you. Do you hold that record of wrong in your file cabinet? Like, I'm just going to, they hurt me so bad, I'm going to lock this, I'm going to lock this pain away. They. I know that they blew it, and they know that they blew it, and so I'm going to keep this pain, I'm going to lock it away in the safe, and then... In the future, and I know that we're going to get into another fight someday. And when the future comes, I'm going to pull that out. I'm going to beat him up with that guilt. Right? Love keeps no record of wrong. So if you're in a relationship, and then if you have forgiven somebody, you can't bring it up again. Love, if you love them, it holds no record of wrong. Now, I'll be transparent Maybe the pain doesn't go away, but this is what mature Christians do. They practice self-control. When you get into a heated argument and you want to bring it, you want to dig up that dead dog and throw it on him, the mature Christian, the one with Christ-like character says no, I'm going to practice self-control and I'm going to hold my tongue, even though I could destroy them by repeating the past. Does that make sense? It's hard, isn't it? Because you can win with that ammunition. You can win. Love keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, it rejoices with the truth. Joy. What is the truth in your life? God is good, and He's good all the time, and He's out to rescue you. That's good news. God is out to overcome evil in this world and in your life. That is is something to rejoice about. Joy is something that, no matter how bad it gets, it is is that element in our lives that we need to continue to to act on. If you're not a joyful Christian, um, spend some time with Jesus. Just just meditate, meditate on Galatians 5. Meditate on Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 13. Meditate on these things. Begin to develop the character of Christ. That, that joy will begin to bubble up in, in you because it's in, it's in the vineyard. We read it earlier. Joy is in the vineyard. It wants to give you sustenance. It wants, you to, grow, it wants to grow you. It wants to show you truth. All right. All right. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, and it always uh, perseveres. Love is faithful, right? And it, it, again, love is a choice. And to be faithful is a choice. And it's hard and it's difficult. And, um, sorry. Okay. I got to wrap it up. Um, so, love is this choice that we have to make. And, It is so easy in our society to not be faithful to something. Divorce rate is over 50% secular and Christian. It's just easier to call it quits instead of being faithful. Uh, It is, we have so many different options. You can choose whatever you want and not be faithful to anything. But love is faithful. It protects. It preserves. it, It goes into a situation and And it does what Jesus asked Peter to do. I want you to tend to my sheep. I want you to care for my sheep. Love never fails. And what we didn't get to get into, and back on your definition, your last definition of what God is, or what love is, I said it was active and dynamic and like its own organic entity. In 1 John 7, 22, Uh, Sorry, chapter 4, verse 7 to 22. Read it. God is love. He says it twice. God is love. And it probably wouldn't be correct for me to say that love is God, but what Paul says, what's scripturally accurate, is that God is love. And all love comes from him. And if you do not, here he says it, if you do not love, if you don't have these eight things going on in your life, if, if you don't love, then you don't know God. What's the implication? The more that you're able to build on these eight things, the more that you're able to increase the capacity to love, the more that you're going to know about God, the more that you're going to understand what's going on in his head, the depths, the secrets, the power, the abilities, You have to do these first. They're the building blocks. You have to increase your ability and capacity to love in order to know God more. That's why I'm here. I hope that's why you're here. If I could have the band and ushers come to the front. As they're on their way up, I want to tell you about a couple of things that is not love. We'll be looking at these uh, nine elements and what is not love. The opposite of love is fear. The fear of somebody hurting you, the fear of risk, and people that are, that are driven and live their lives by fear, um, they take on the counterfeit of love. All of the gifts of the Spirit, All of, excuse me, all of the fruits of the Spirit, they all have their counterfeit. They all have their opposite and they all have their counterfeit. The counterfeit of agape love is a selfish affection towards other people. Meaning that when you engage people, when you express your love towards them, when you uh, do kind things, deep down inside you expect something in return. That is not agape. And when that fear festers, you, if you don't have this under control, You will see people as a means to an end and you will use them, you'll abuse them, you'll manipulate them in order for you to get a fake sense of love. We'll be looking at all these opposites coming up. But here's the thing that I want to, I hope you're here that you can know God better. Ask yourself, am I engaged in this relationship with God so that I can know him better Or am I engaged with God so he will do stuff for me? If we can manipulate people, we're tempted to manipulate God. He doesn't go that way. Let's pray. God, right now, we just thank you so much for this beautiful day. And I pray right now as we struggle and move forward and fall forward. And God, we need to increase our ability to love more. I pray that we will um, be honest with ourselves with these nine things, and we'll take a good hard look at our life. God, what area of love do I need to work on? Is it self-control? Is it patience? Is it gentleness? Is it kindness? Is it generosity? God, what element in my life am I weak at that is hindering me from tapping into dormant spiritual gifts, dormant power? God, I pray that we will be productive believers, that we will bear good fruit for your glory. We pray these things.